great. You know, it got to like 70 degrees at the high. So I know you guys suffered down here a little bit, but we did really well. And so we're thankful for the opportunity to have gone. Turn to Matthew chapter 9 in all seriousness here. We will be in the book of Matthew, but Matthew chapter 9. I wanted to share a quick, a second testimony real quick. Um, uh, I'll say a couple things about my dad here, probably in this message, um, and, and just reflecting on him on Father's Day. So I'm, of course, thankful for my dad. And, um, but I, especially today, I, I just had a special blessing. I'm thankful for my father-in-law. Um, you know, my father-in-law uh, raised seven kids and they look back and they say, yeah, we probably made some mistakes with some of them. Some of those kids are going different directions and not serving the Lord and making some decisions and things. So I know, you know, deep down they feel some, uh, you know, maybe some regrets and some things like that. But I, I ultimately am thankful for a father-in-law that has a heart for the Lord. Uh, my father-in-law and I this afternoon just, we, we spent, I don't know, probably a good hour, maybe two hours just talking about things of the Lord about, What's a good Christian response to different things? Not even just things that are going on now, but just everything we said, he, he always said, well, what, was the, what would the Bible tell us to do in that? And I, I just was encouraged by it. And it just, I, I'm, I'm again thankful for a father-in-law that desires to serve the Lord, and he encourages us to try to raise our kids to serve the Lord. And that is just a special blessing. Matthew chapter 9, we're going to read a passage here in just a moment, and and. and I am going to do my best here to not get off on tangent. It's been not just three weeks that I haven't been here, but it's been about four months since I've been able to say anything from this pulpit. And I really, I really have a whole lot to say. Uh, so I, I'm trying not to get off onto tangents. And, uh, you know, Pastor did mention uh, that him and I talked a little bit about this message. When I came, when we got back Wednesday night, I was talking to him a little bit, and I told him I'm a little scattered on really what it would be that I'd want to preach about. There's a whole lot of craziness going on, and there's a whole lot going on in our world that we as Christians are responding to and are dealing with. Uh, we're all wearing, many are wearing masks in here, and you know everybody's got their decisions on, should I wear a mask, should I not wear a mask? And that's just on a light side, um, all these protests and um, all the different things going on. And quite honestly, um, three months ago, when Pastor and I were talking, at some point we'll come back and, and you'll want to maybe do Sunday school again. I thought I was only dealing with a pandemic. So I thought, okay, I could probably come up with something that talks about how we as Christians are going to deal with the pandemic and what our response should be. And then I went away for three weeks and, uh, and, and it just went to like another level. Amen? And uh, it just, the, the world has been a little bit crazy. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot going on, the pandemic, um, you know, obviously these deaths, this death of George Floyd that has sparked um, a lot of this outrage and these cries for injustice and all these different things that are going on. And, and I'll just tell you, for me personally, um, I, 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 I tend to be a pretty political guy. I follow a lot of politics. It's just... It's kind of ingrained in me to, to, to be argumentative a little bit. And so I found myself up in Washington at one point. Um, I was sitting there reading things on Facebook. And man, my like rage levels were just growing. And I wanted to start responding to people like, you all are just, okay. Like no cursing, I promise, you know. But like I wanted to just get 
really upset at people. And I started thinking through all the false information and all the misleading things and all the untruths and all the erasing of history and truth and, and all the data you could show that say what you're saying isn't even true and all these things. I mean, I, we could spend forever really, really talking about that. And I know for myself, I started thinking about, boy, who am I really now in America? Because everybody wants to tell me who I am as a white man, as a Christian, as a father. And they want to define that for me and tell me what I really am intentionally, what's in my heart. And they want to tell me what my, who I really am supposed to be and all these things. And, so, and then I started thinking, how do I raise my kids in this environment? I really, I really did. I sat down and I, and I, I really thought, what is it, how do I tell my kids about this? I, I mentioned that we drove through, uh, we, the way we drove up to Washington, we went through Las Vegas because Sonia's got some family there. We stopped and said hi to them. We stayed in Reno. And when we stayed in Reno, um, as we started getting into downtown Reno and we were driving to where our hotel was, we started noticing that all the on-ramps and off-ramps started being shut down. There were cop cars all blocking them, throwing flares out. You could not get in or out of that part of the city. And we got off on like the next exit and our hotel was right there, and we didn't pick a great hotel. We thought, let's just pick something cheap and stay there. And then we were like, maybe we should have gone a little bit further. This was a little scary. We got into our hotel room, and right when we turned on the news, the first thing it said is Mayor of Reno is issuing a curfew because the protests have turned violent. And Sony and I are sitting there. We hear all this noise outside of our hotel room. There's people running around. There's people in other rooms yelling and screaming at each other. Sony and I seriously laid in bed like this. Go check and see if the vehicle's still there. Like, <laughs> like we were just kind of on edge, you know. And we woke up that next morning, and um, we had the news on, just trying to see what was going on. We, we, we got up early. I mean, by 6 a.m., I'm already an early riser, but 6 a.m., I was, like, dressed, ready, like, let's pack. We're done. We're done with Reno. And uh, let's, move to, let's go up to Seattle, right? That was a whole lot better. And, um, but the kids were kind of starting to ask questions, you know, like, Dad, why is all this going on? What's all, the, what's all the protests about? And they were asking about, you know, just different questions. And, and honestly, I felt like I don't really know what the best answer to give you is. And I tried to be honest. I tried to tell them what grievances people were having and, and tried not to get into some big old conversations about it. Um, but again, my emotions, and I started feeling discouraged. I started feeling... Uh, angry, maybe bitter, just about everything going on. And, and I finally got to a point where I said, what should my response be as a Christian? Like, where should I be at as a Christian in all of this? What's the spiritual response I ought to have? And I'm going to tell you, I don't know perfectly what that answer is. I'm not here to try to give that to you. But as I started kind of contemplating um, I had some messages I wanted to, to preach maybe about when is it right to protest as a Christian? You know, what does Romans 13 really talk about authority and submitting to authority? You read that, I think it's a lot more convicting than we maybe give it credit sometimes about our role as a Christian in submitting to authority over us. Uh, that's a challenge. And uh, as I started thinking through, maybe I should preach about that or maybe I should preach about uh, civil disobedience and what should we do as Christians to stand up for freedoms and stand up for the Constitution, because I think sometimes we as Christians put the Constitution even above the Bible. And, uh, and I started thinking, what is the biblical approach? Not what does the Constitution tell me my right is. What does the, not what the Constitution tells me I have the freedom to do. But what does the Bible say 
about who I should be as a Christian. And as I was talking to Pastor the other night, Pastor said something to me that just confirmed for me what I knew in my heart I needed, and I needed to think about it, and I needed to study it. Pastor said this to me. He said, he said you know, these people that are protesting, these people that are maybe using this pandemic to fight a political battle, these people that are uh, changing history or trying to erase history, this will be the greatest cause that they will ever fight. This is the greatest cause they will ever fight. And I started thinking, that doesn't make me angry anymore. It makes me sad. It brings pity. And it ought to bring pity to our hearts to say, these people are so fervently fighting in these streets and burning and looting and tearing down statues and thinking that they're accomplishing something of a great cause, but it's temporal and it's vain. And I started thinking, I have a much greater cause that I am called to as a Christian. I have a much greater hope and a much greater joy that I can have despite all that that's going on. And I'm not trying to take away from the fact that, hey, we ought to have a voice in that. We ought to speak up for rights and we might ought to speak up for truth. But I thought, why am I allowing myself to be angry and to live in a place of anger and bitterness and outrage at these people when yet I should actually be pitying them? And I started thinking about this passage and I I just couldn't help but read this passage several times and uh, think about what Jesus' heart was in dealing with people. So we're going to read this in Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to start here in verse number 27, and we'll read to the end of the, the passage here. Matthew 9, 27, Jesus, in the whole chapter here, he's been going to different places, healing, and uh, 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 a woman with the issue of blood, and, and this guy's daughter has been dead, and he raised her again. And then verse 27 says, When Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him. Move this down a little bit. Crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was come into the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this? They said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And And their eyes were opened, and Jesus straightly charged them, saying, See that no man know it. But they, when they were departed, spread abroad his fame in all that country. As they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with the devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake. And the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never so seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casteth out devils through the prince of the devils. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. The thought there is, verse 36, he was moved with compassion. Pastor mentioned a few weeks ago he preached about compassion. Lately, this is all I can think about, (laughs) is what is the heart by which I'm approaching these things? What's within my heart as I think about these protests and the people that are protesting and the people that are maybe uh, defaming the name of a Christian 
or, 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 or defaming the heritage by which I view it differently than what they want to portray it as. What is the heart by which I'm, uh, I'm acting or, or feeling towards them? And I can't help but think that Jesus constantly had a heart of compassion. Jesus didn't function out of a heart of anger, out of a heart of bitterness, out of a heart of outrage, out of a heart of, of political envy or anything, animosity. Jesus functioned out of a heart of compassion. And I thought, are we, or I'll just make it personal, am I operating out of a heart of compassion when I talk about these things and I think about these things and I'm dwelling on them? When I'm approaching people on Facebook, I'm just going to give you a hint. You're not going to change a whole lot of minds on Facebook. You can sit there and post and forward memes and forward articles and all this kind of stuff. You know, people are, people's minds are already made up if they're sitting on Facebook to get their information. But this thought of compassion, again, I said I was going to mention my dad. I was just this morning, I woke up and I was kind of emotional this morning. I was telling Sonia, I said, you know, I'm kind of emotional this year. I haven't been emotional every Father's Day since my dad passed, but today I was a little extra emotional. And as I was getting ready, just, you know, just kind of dwelling on who he was. And then I asked the question, I thought, what would my dad do? At this moment, if he were alive today, how would my dad be? And I started thinking, I said, man, my dad was a pretty temperate, patient guy. And I remember my dad uh, always, always telling us, Adam, you love people because you ought to love people. It doesn't matter where they come from. doesn't matter what they look like. doesn't matter who they are. You love people. I remember my dad having people from all over the world come and stay in our home and learn about their culture and learn about who they were and, and learn about... And I just kept thinking and thinking about compassion that my dad had for people. My dad didn't make a, a huge living. My dad didn't make a lot of money, but every time my dad got a chance, he sent money to missionaries to help them buy things that they needed or help them. And I just started thinking. It just kept bringing me to this thought of my first response is to yell and to politically get involved and to want to socially jump out there at people. And I thought my dad's response would be different. Jesus' response would be different. And I thought, my dad would respond more like Jesus would. So I want to respond more like Jesus would. I want to have a heart that is, is, is fueled by compassion and fueled with the heart that Jesus had towards people. Let me just, I'm going to give you four points. And these, I, I think these are relatively simple here, and I don't plan to belabor these. But we're going to use this text. I'm going to give you just four points here around this thought of compassion. Letter A, Jesus defines compassion for us here. Jesus defines compassion. I'm going to tell you two things that compassion is not, and then I'll tell you what compassion is. And we can see it right here in this passage. First of all, compassion is not compromising truth. Look at what it says Jesus did. Jesus, uh, all these verses leading up to it, he was, he was going and healing people. He was touching their eyes. He was raising from the dead. He was removing the devil from the possessed man. Um, and then it says in verse 35, he went about teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. You know, Jesus wasn't out there preaching a social gospel, preaching for social justice, preaching for uh, better political action committees. He wasn't looking to nominate better politicians. His message was simply the truth, preaching the kingdom of God. He didn't compromise it. 
It says in the next verse, he was moved with compassion, but it didn't change his message. It changed how he delivered his message. It, it guided how he delivered his message. It was, his message was seasoned at all times with compassion, but it didn't compromise the truth. Sometimes we get in this mode where we say, well, if I have to show compassion, that means I have to sacrifice truth, and I'm not going to sacrifice truth. And oftentimes we can get a heart of pride. We can get a heart of hardness to say, well, I'm not going to compromise where I'm at, so I'm, I'm not going to show any compassion in this. That's not what compassion means we have to do. We ought to stand for the truth. Pastor just preached it this morning. I'm not going to re-preach it, but in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus did not shy away from teaching the Pharisees the truth. And read the Gospels. He never shied away from preaching the truth to the, to the, the Pharisees. But you know what Jesus' motive was not to get the Pharisees to all of a sudden vote different politically. It was always geared towards bringing them back to a heart issue and to the Gospel and to the kingdom of God. That's where Jesus was always driving people when he talked about the truth. And he never sacrificed that. Ephesians 4.15 tells us to speak the truth in love. It's that you can speak the truth and still have a heart of love, a heart of compassion, a heart of, uh, of caring. So compassion is not compromising the truth. Jesus didn't compromise the truth um, as he, as he went from city to city and town to town, but he still was able to look on the multitudes and have compassion. The second thing that compassion is not, compassion is not condoning every societal issue or, or purpose for, for societal change. We Right now, if you go onto Facebook, everybody is telling you, if you truly care, you'll follow this cause. If you truly care, you'll bow the knee to this type of philosophy. If you truly care, you'll repent of some generational thing that has happened. If you truly care about people, you'll say these certain phrases publicly and you'll say them over and over and over and over again repetitively if you truly care. Listen, compassion does not mean that you bow to every whim and you pander to every whim that society says you ought to to show compassion. That's not what compassion is. It goes hand in hand with truth, but I still stand for the truth. I still stand for what is right. I still stand for what is biblical. I still stand to honor truth and to, to project truth. I don't, I don't alter that. If you think about here, and uh, Jesus had one movement that he was focused on. One movement. The kingdom of God. That was all that Jesus was focused on. I'll share some more details later, but do you know that the day and times in which Jesus lived here is not any different than what every society has had to deal with when it comes to bigotry, hatred, racism, ethnicity challenge, all that stuff has happened in every generation and every society has had to deal with that. You know why? Because at the core of human beings is hatred, is sin. I mean, it's never going to be rid of. And Jesus was dealing with the same things here, but you know what? That wasn't the causes that he went to go fight for. And again, I'm not trying to say we don't try to fight for right causes, um, but Jesus was on one mission, and his mission was the kingdom of God. And he didn't waver from that. There's pressure sometimes for us to pander or to cave in a little bit and to say, okay, if I'm going to show compassion, I, 
I'll just go ahead and agree with whatever cause you've got going on and say that's okay. That's not what compassion is. Compassion doesn't compromise the truth. Compassion doesn't condone every societal whim and, and claim that they say we ought to follow. What is compassion? Simply this. Compassion is just simply having a genuine concern and care for the hurt that other people have. That's it. Someone said it this way. It's your hurt and my heart. That's, that's what compassion is. Compassion is simply the ability to look at someone and say, you have a hurt that I want to feel. <laughs> you have a hurt that I ought to try to understand, or at least I ought to, I ought to show some genuine empathy for. Again, doesn't mean that I condone it. It doesn't mean that I uh, replace the truth of where it came from or what it's about. But it's to truly care about it so that what? I can try to bring healing, and the only true healing that comes is from Jesus Christ. Sonia's aunt is um, LDS, but she is extremely liberal. I don't know how she can be LDS. It just doesn't match even what LDS would promote and so forth. Uh, she's full abortion, full uh, uh, homosexuality, and all these different things. I mean, just really... And she just puts all sorts of stuff on Facebook. And I get there, and I start reading this stuff, and boy... I just, I want to start responding. I've responded to her on two things. I think I did it pretty nicely and out of a good heart. But I even told Sonia, I said, I have to confess, I actually am getting so angry at your aunt. And you know what? I actually, I should just love your aunt. I should just have some compassion for your aunt. I've been thinking through maybe a private message to send her and what I would say to her, but I, ought, I really am thinking I need to send her something that just says I love her. And I just care about her as being in family. I, I just, I, I want to get out of this mode of just being angry about everything she posts because it, it drives me nuts. I really just need to get off of Facebook. That's really the, the, the theme here. <clears throat> but Jesus qualified his ministry. Jesus qualified what he was doing by having a heart of compassion. That's just, that's who Jesus was. So Jesus defines it for us. It's not compromising. It's not condoning what society tells us we ought to do or who we are and how we ought to behave. But compassion is having a genuine concern for the hurt that other people have. And let's just be honest. There are people all around us, whether they're protesting or not, whether they're fearful of COVID or they're not, they have some form of hurt. They have some sort of pain. In their sin, they are in pain. Do we have a heart of compassion for them? A genuine concern, a genuine care for that hurt, and ultimately for the hurt that will be coming to them in eternity. That's what compassion means. Let it be here. Not only does Jesus define for us and, uh, compassion, but Jesus demonstrates for us compassion. I already mentioned it, but these people... They had their own needs and troubles. Bigotry was common in these days. Let's just think about a couple things. Think about some different people. How, did, how were the Samaritans treated at this time? Anybody know? The Samaritans were basically considered half-breeds between the Jews and pagan ancestors. And so the Jews treated them as outcasts. In fact, they felt that they were so unclean of a people, they refused to even pass through Samaria. 
They would do everything they could to go around Samaria. Talk about bigotry. The Jews uh, looked down at the Samaritans and looked at them as a lower class of people. Even within Jew, the Jewish race, think about how the Pharisees and the Sadducees looked at each other. Think about how they looked at publicans. You know the publicans were detested and hated. They were treated as if they were the, uh, another low quality. And these were full Jewish people. But hey, they're the tax collectors. They're the, they're the low lowlifes. They're the, the scum. And so they had this class view of these people and put them down. Think about the story of the Pharisee and the publican, the one who the Pharisee gets up and beats his chest about how great he is. And who does he, who does he say, I'm glad I'm not? Some publican down here. Think about what it was like around uh, there in, 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 at that time with Rome being the political epicenter and, and Rome being the political juggernaut that it was and how the Jews had to deal with Rome and Rome would deal with the Jews. Again, they had their, their issues. They had their bigotries. They had their political causes. They had their political difficulties. It wasn't any different. They just didn't have Twitter and Facebook to make it known. So Jesus was dealing with people that were having all the same issues. He would look out that, at those, that multitudes, and that multitudes possibly had some Samaritans, had some publicans, had some Pharisees, had some Roman uh, soldiers, had several other classes and nationalities and ethnicities of people. And Jesus looked at them all and said, he's moved with compassion on all of them. Jesus was no respecter of persons. He saw the multitudes, not the elite Jews, not just those who agreed with him politically, not just those who agreed with him theologically. Jesus looked at all of them with compassion. Think about some of these examples I'm just going to give you here real quick. Think about Nicodemus in John chapter 3. If some of us got confronted with a political or theological leader of the opposite, of, of the liberal Okay, I'm going to assume all of us in here lean towards a certain way. Uh, but if you were confronted by a, a very staunch liberal that had uh, some pull and some weight in the liberal party, and they came up and had an opportunity to talk with you, what do you think you would talk about? I'll tell you what my first thing would be to talk about, political things. I probably would. I'd probably get really charged up, and I'd probably say, you're a moron for supporting these things, and, and I'd, get, I'd go into it. Listen, Jesus had an opportunity with one of the theological leaders, Nicodemus, and what did he do? He talked to him about how to be saved. <laughs> hey, he didn't shy away. He didn't say, well, I don't agree with you theologically, so just, you know, go do your thing. I'm just going to avoid you. No, he confronted him, but he didn't confront him and challenge him theologically other than to give him the gospel. He wasn't there to fight him about his traditions and all the things uh, that he knew were untrue about what he supported as a pharisaical leader. Think about John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman. We know how the Jews felt about the Samaritans. Perhaps some of Jesus' disciples, it doesn't really say this, but some of those disciples may have been like, are we really going to go through Samaria? I mean, I don't think any of us have even traveled through Samaria. We don't even know what these people are like. They're probably barbarians. They're probably criminals. They're, you know, they're probably just, they don't know. Jesus didn't shy away. What did he do? He sat down with Samaritan woman. What did he do? 
showed her how to drink from the living water. Led her, to, led her to faith in him. And possibly even her other husbands that she had. I think about Zacchaeus, a publican. Jesus didn't look down on the publican and say, well, you're just a lowlife that's been cheating people. You're just a criminal. I'm not going to mess with you. No, what did he do with Zacchaeus? He said, get down from that tree. I'm coming over to your house. And it says that he basically saved his house as he was a son of Abraham, it says in that passage. Malchus, I think about in Luke chapter 22, a Roman guard who came there to basically take Jesus captive for doing no crimes, having done nothing wrong. Peter takes his sword, cuts the ear off of Malchus. What does Jesus do? Hey, put that away. Let me heal your ear. I think he showed some compassion. What if someone drew a sword at you? Or what if someone came to falsely accuse you? Again, I'm not, I, I'm not here to tell you exactly what the biblical response is to all those things. I'm just simply saying that when Jesus was confronted with those things, he demonstrated compassion on all types of people, on all types of, of, of individuals. I think about the thief on the cross in Luke chapter 23. Even at the time of death, Jesus was looking to show compassion to someone else. And then I think there's no greater example than just to think about you and I. Didn't Jesus show compassion for us? Are we really any different in a sin nature than the people all around us in our community? We're not. By the grace of God, He saved us. And He desires to save them. Jesus showed compassion on us. He showed compassion on me. Now, I'll just say this. Go look at all these individuals. Did Jesus ever once condone what they were doing in their life? Jesus didn't condone the Samaritan woman's adultery. Jesus didn't condone the thief on the cross and say, you don't deserve to be on this cross. This is uh, injustice. You should be brought down. No, no, no. He cared about his soul. He didn't condone what he had done. He didn't even say it was uh, okay with what, or, or what, he had, that what he had done or did not happen or that he was falsely prosecuted or anything. Jesus didn't address those things. Jesus ad addressed their heart. Jesus didn't condone what Zacchaeus did. In fact, Zacchaeus, because of his repentance, said, I'm going to go pay fourfold back to those people that I robbed. I'm going to make that right. That was a, a true sign of his repentance. But that wasn't what Jesus addressed. Jesus wanted to address their heart because he had compassion on them. Psalm 86 says, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion, gracious, long-suffering, plenteous, and mercy and truth. Psalm 111.4, He hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Jesus demonstrated compassion over and over again. Didn't condone falsehoods. Didn't change his message to appear, appeal to the whims of society, but he dealt with people out of a heart of compassion. He saw their hurt and said, your greatest hurt is your lost soul. And he felt a pity. He felt a care. Uh, there's a passage in the New Testament that talks about the bowels of mercy, the bowels of compassion. The thought there is it's from your innermost being. I know when you talk about bowels, it's kind of gross. But it's, a, it's, it's not your physical bowels. It's just talking about your innermost part of your being ought to have care and pity and compassion for people. 
I just had to ask myself, how am I demonstrating compassion in these times? I'll just be honest for you, uh, for me, uh, and I'm not here to tell people what they should and shouldn't do. Um, I started thinking about this whole mask wearing thing. And I'll just tell you, when, when, when they started first saying people go out and wear masks, I was like, I'm just not leaving my house, kind of like what Brother Matt was saying. I said, forget you, I'm not wearing a mask. I'm not worried. I'll be fine. And I had to be honest with, why is my reason for not wearing a mask? Could wearing a mask be a sign of compassion to some people? Maybe. Am I willing to do that? If that were to be, if I'm out in public and I see some older people and they see me not wearing a mask, would they think, wow, that guy doesn't have any compassion? So if I just put on a mask, would it, would it demonstrate compassion? Is there anything in the Bible that tells me not to wear a mask? Again, I'm not trying to ch- tell you what you can and can't do. I'm saying I had to reflect on these things myself and say, what am I doing to demonstrate compassion? Or am I more worried about demonstrating my stance on some things? And I felt that wasn't the right heart for me. And I'm just trying to encourage you, what's your heart? What's in your heart for why you're doing what you're doing, whether it's to post or to tweet or to talk to people or whatever? What, where's your heart coming from? <clears throat> Jesus defined compassion. Jesus demonstrated compassion. Uh, letter C, Jesus details why he had compassion on these people. Why did Jesus have compassion for them? Look in verse number 36. It said, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Why did he have compassion on them? I'll just say these real quick. This thought of fainted. The idea of fainted is, uh, fainted is that they're feeble. They're lacking strength or endurance. It's not even just physical as much as it is they ultimately will run out of strength to keep doing what they're doing. It's not a, they don't have an enduring strength. They don't have a providential strength that is upholding them, that is sustaining them. They are going to faint. And he was moved with compassion to say, all these things that they're doing, they're ultimately going to faint and be unfruitful. They're going to be weary. In Mark 8, the story of the feeding of the 5,000, it says that Jesus saw that they had been going for three days without food, and he had compassion on them because they were going to be faint. There he was talking more physically. But Jesus had compassion. He's looking at them saying, wow, they're going to be weary. He sees people in the world, he sees people in the multitude that are just growing weary from the efforts that they're putting in and the the, the strength that they're putting in for their causes and the strength that they're putting in on the path that they're on. And he says they're just going to grow faint. So he had compassion for them. You know, I started thinking again um, of of the causes that people are fighting for these days and, and the amount of effort and energy and the weariness that that will bring and ultimately, again, the vanity that it'll bring. They're just going to faint from it. He says here that they are scattered abroad. You know what we constantly hear about? Anarchists, right? These people up in Seattle are anarchists. Now, I, I tend to agree with that. Uh, they're people that don't really care about law and order. They don't care about uh, uh, even really the people that are near them and what they do to their society. They, they just have a cause of anarchy. You know what? That's what Jesus had compassion on. <laughs> he says they were sheep. They were scattered abroad. The thought of scattered abroad is the thought of they got no direction. They've got no purpose. 
no lasting purpose. They're just fumbling through their life like, what cause do I go after now? What cause should I go after here? What should I do now? Because I got no idea what I ought to accomplish with my life. Jesus said, I've got compassion on you for that. I got pity for you because you're just fumbling through your life with no purpose. Thank God that when, he, when we accepted him, he gave us a purpose, <laughs> right? I mean, COVID and protests and all these things going on, but boy, God gave me a purpose. I don't have to be scattered abroad. And then he said, sheep having no shepherd. Basically, they're finding, following blind leadership. They got no true authority in their life. They've got no true guide in their life to direct them. Jesus is the ultimate authority. Jesus is the, the true shepherd that wants to lead us and guide us and give us authority and give us uh, direction and purpose. He's looking at these people and he says, not only are they just scattered everywhere, but they've got no true authority. They've got nobody to lead them. You know, I think, again, I know I'm mentioning a lot about the protests. I'm just referencing the context of current times. But you, you, you listen to a lot of these people. They got no idea what their authority is for the cause that they're following. No idea. Who leads this cause? I don't know, but let's just say these phrases and let's just tag this building and let's just throw a, uh, uh, let's burn down this Wendy's because we we're following some sort of cause. They've got no shepherd. You know what Jesus said? That causes him to have pity. It causes him to have compassion because ultimately they are people that have, are lacking a true authority, the true shepherd of Jesus Christ. Jesus knew the true answer for these multitudes as he looked out on them. Sure, he healed a lot of them. He cured blindness. He helped the maimed to walk. He raised this, uh, uh, this, this, this young girl from the dead. He uh, healed the blind eyes. He cast out the devils. He did these different things. But for many of those people, if their faith did not get expressed in Jesus Christ, even that healing was temporal. Even the healing that they were given and all the marveling that they did and they saw all these things from Jesus, if it didn't cause them to put their faith and trust in Him, it was temporal. And so Jesus did all this healing and yet after it talks about Him doing all this healing and all this teaching and all this preaching, it says He's moved with compassion. Why? Because He knows that that ultimately isn't the final answer for them is just to be healed. They had to be healed spiritually. And I just submit today that why do, I have compassion? why do I need to have compassion? Why do I need to operate with a heart of compassion? Because at the end of the day, the greatest cause that I ought to fight for is that the gospel of Jesus Christ gets to more people and that they get that healing. A new law is not going to ultimately bring satisfaction for those seeking social justice. You could put up 500 laws. It will never be enough because you'll never rid of bigotry and hatred and sin. It'll never satisfy. Jesus Christ can only satisfy. And Jesus knew that. And he looked at them with a the heart of compassion. Lastly here, and we'll wrap this up. Jesus defined for us. Jesus demonstrated for us. Jesus details for us why this area of compassion. Why was it necessary but then lastly, Jesus demands of us an answer of compassion. 
Look at what it says there in verse 37. He says, Then saith he unto his disciples, after he healed these people and after he preached in the, king, uh, the kingdom of God and he was healing and he was curing diseases among the people, he looked out on them and he says, I have compassion on them. I have pity on them. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore. Anybody that knows uh, grammar, I'm not the best at grammar. I can do uh, Caleb's fourth grade grammar. <clears throat> but the word pray there is an imperative statement, which basically says this is a command for you. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Philippians 2 tells us, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What was the mind of Christ Jesus? A mind of compassion. A mind to see what the greatest need was. Lost souls. He says, pray. I was thinking the other day, again, after I kind of was contemplating, like, what should I do? Should I, what should I tell my kids? What should I post onto Facebook? I got to stop saying Facebook. I'm giving them too much credit here <clears throat> and publicity. But what, what, what should my response be? And, and at one point I sat down and I said, I think about the only thing I can really do is just pray. I don't have the best of answers. I don't know what the best course is. I don't know how to heal our land and heal people's hearts and all this stuff. I can't do that stuff. I can pray. Jesus says pray. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. How many times have we sat down and just prayed for the things that are going on in our country? How many times have we prayed for the people that have gotten sick from COVID? How many times have we prayed for the families of those that lost people to COVID? How many times have we sat down and prayed that our leaders would have wisdom in dealing with this? How many times have we sat down and prayed for those that are showing so much hurt about this injustice, whether we think it's valid or not? How many times have we prayed that someone, a laborer, would go to them to give them true healing? When's the last time? I'll tell you, I haven't very often. I'm guilty of it. If we're unsure of what else to do to help our society, if we're unsure of what else, to, uh, who to share the gospel with, who can I go talk to? I'm locked up in my house. I can pray. I can pray. Matthew chapter 5, we went through Sermon on the Mount, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Mark 14, watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. What's a temptation? I'll tell you, my temptation is anger <laughs> and irritation and frustration. Boy, prayer can help. Have the right mindset, have the right heart. What is he praying for? He's praying to send forth laborers. Jesus is saying, hey, we need more people that will go out there and not just fight social causes and not just fight for better politicians and not just fight for uh, better theological sound doctrine within churches among believers, but we need people that will be laborers in the harvest of people that need Christ. That's the true need. He says, the harvest is truly plenteous, but the laborers are few. I started thinking, harvest is, truly is plenteous. What does that mean? I'll tell you what it means to me. It means that if you just were to go out there, you can reap fruit. It's ripe. It is ready. 
And I'm not saying every person you share the gospel with is going to get saved. But the harvest doesn't necessarily always mean that it's a, a, a person that gets saved. It's just that you get to go out and harvest and, and plant, and there's plenty of opportunity to do it. And God will bring forth the fruit. I had a friend that um, bought some stock. You know, when the whole market downturn went, he kept calling me. He said, hey, are you going to buy any stock? I mean, the, you know, the stock market went down. And I did. I bought a few things, and, you know, I took from the kids' piggy banks and stuff and <laughs> invested a little bit. <laughs> I'm kidding, guys. I didn't. It's like you only have like three bucks in there. It's not that much. <laughs> so... Um, so, you know, we were talking about some investments. Well, he ended up investing in this one stock, and he bought it for like $22 a share. Well, he sold it last week for 60 something dollars a share. I said, that is truly plenteous. <laughs> like, that is great. You just reaped a great big benefit and a harvest from that. And I thought, when, God, when we go out and just give our effort, it's God that multiplies it, Right? I might go out with an effort of only a 22, like this is all I've got. But God can turn that into a 60 and a 70 and multiply and multiply and multiply and make it a truly plenteous harvest. I don't get to dictate the harvest. He just says, we need labors. Truly is plenteous. There is plenty of fruit to go out. There are plenty of people that need to hear the gospel. How am I responding to all that is going on? Again, I don't have all the perfect answers. I really don't. I can't tell you what to say to your family and friends all the time when they say certain viewpoints or uh, make certain accusations or falsehoods or whatever it might be. <clears throat> all I can say is that I know for me, my desire and, and what I'm praying that God would help me to do is to come from a place of compassion with whatever response I do have. And with whatever uh, place that God says, hey, this is an opportunity for you to insert. Lord, give me a heart of compassion to do that. This is a group of people for you to go and, and talk to about truth and talk to about what's right. And maybe it'll get political. Maybe it'll get into some of the societal things going on, but have it with a heart of compassion. Are you willing to hear exactly what their pain is? Are you willing to listen? Doesn't mean I compromise. Doesn't mean I change and condone whatever their uh, process is or whatever, but do I have a heart of compassion? Again, I'm just, I'm thankful. I'm, I'm thankful for the dad that God gave me. I'm thankful that I had a dad <clears throat> that taught me quite a bit of life lessons about how to work and, 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 and uh, how to approach um, relationships and, and how to approach just challenges in life. I remember in college, I used to call my dad. I'm not kidding. I think I called dad probably every day. I know I talked to mom quite a bit too, but I, talk, I probably called my dad every day. I'd find a break, and back then we had things called pay phones. In fact, I took a picture of a phone booth up in Oregon because I just, I didn't even show the kids, but I needed to remind them. This is what it looks like, except it didn't even have a phone in it. So, phone booth. But I used to go to this pay phone near our uh, uh, little cafe, and I'd, I'd get on my little card where I had minutes on it, like 500 minutes that I kept putting on there, and I would call dad, and, and sometimes I didn't even know what I wanted to say to dad, because I just talked to him yesterday, and he'd say, what's going on today? I don't know, dad, nothing really, <laughs> but uh, what are you doing? <laughs> and we would just talk, and I remember through many of those things, dad just challenging me, and he'd say, I, I, would, I would say a frustration to him, and he'd say, well, why is that frustrating to you? 
I would say, Dad, I think I'm going to go do this for, for my job, or I think I'm going to maybe go look at a different job over here. You say, why? Why are you going to do that? And I realized that at the core of my dad, he wanted to always know why. Why are you doing what you're doing? We can get so focused on actions, and we can say, oh, they must be really good people because we see these actions. God is interested in our heart. And I'm, I was thankful that my dad would challenge me all the time. And I know I've shared stories of my brother and how he would dress, and my dad would say, why are you dressing like that? Not allowed to do that. If your reason isn't going to be a good reason, then no, you dress like I tell you to dress. <laughs> and I started, I, I just, I couldn't help but thinking about that, and I, and I thought, why am I so frustrated? Why am I so frustrated with all the stuff going on around me? Is it pride? Is it an unwillingness to submit and be humble? Is it arrogance? What is it? What, what is it that, is it my own intellectual challenging that I want to make sure I put out there? And I started saying, I want my why to be guided by compassion. I just want to have the heart that Jesus had, which was preach the truth, speak the truth, seek for people to know Jesus, seek to, to, to stand up for what is right, but do it with a heart of compassion. And I hope just to challenge you, I, I don't know where your heart is at. I, honestly, I don't even know if many of you, how much thought you put into what's going on around here. I'm not here to assume that you're maybe as crazy as I am. I read Yahoo all the time. I'm reading news all the time. My kids are like, Dad, stop reading the news. It is becoming probably an addiction. I need to, pastor said I need to start a garden or something, get a hobby. Um, and, 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 but, so for me, I, I, I'm so ingrained with this stuff, but I realize, Lord, I want to have a spiritual response, and I want to have a heart that Jesus would have. And I think that Jesus showed us that it's with a heart of compassion. So I just encourage you if, you, if your heart is in any other way, as you're viewing these things and as you're looking at the people and as you're, as you're examining what's going on, I just challenge you, have the heart that Jesus would have you to have. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for our time. Lord, I know we went over, and I, I thank you.